Welcome to Career Chinwags for the 21st Century. My name's Catherine Cunningham and I'm a career specialist who's worked with thousands of people by now. And so what I'm trying to do in this podcast series is tap into things that I've learned, things that I've come to understand over the years to help people better manage their careers and be happier at work. So I want to talk first about MBTI. I love it. It's my favorite work. And if I'm, if I'm working with somebody who's not happy at work and they only have one hour to work with me, I always recommend MBTI because if you can uncover your hardwired preferences rather than learned behavior or learned skills, you can use that information to decide what sort of work to do. So, for example, when I was at the bank, my spreadsheets were basically full of errors because I don't have natural attention to detail. Now, since then, I've learned attention to detail. Anybody who works with me on resumes gets pretty amazed at everything I spot. So, yes, I can have attention to detail, but do I want to be in a job all day where I have to absolutely focus on the task at hand and notice every slight little issue? I can tell you no. So where does it come from? I want to give you a little bit of theory before we start. I'm going to look at the four separate letters, M-B-T-I, one at a time, and that will help you understand it. And I'm going to start at the back. So the I stands for indicator. MBTI is not a test. So if you go online and do one of those free versions, it's pretty well a waste of time. It is only an indicator. As an accredited practitioner, I'm bound by the ethics to only ever deliver the assessment with the debrief. Many times people think when they do the assessment that they're, for example, an ENTP, and it's only when you properly explore hardwired preferences in the debrief that they may, for example, come to understand they're not an extrovert, that was learned behaviour, they're actually fundamentally an introvert. So it's an indicator, not a test. The next letter I want to look at is the T. The T stands for type. And there's two issues to look at here. The first one is there are 16 types or 16 possibilities. And that is both the strength and weakness of MBTI. The strength is, from a career perspective, when people get their profile, it's like this aha light bulb moment. Often the comment is, I cannot believe this is so right. The level of detail, however, means that they forget their profile. So if I rang somebody up a year later and said, look, what's your profile? They'll probably get it wrong. For our career purposes, that doesn't matter. All we're trying to do with MBTI is stop for a minute in time, have a think about hardwired preferences, and use that information to make career decisions. And the other aspect of type is it's not tray or trait theory. So many instruments will measure you on a continuum. They'll say you're more like this than a particular cohort or less like this. As soon as you do Myers-Briggs, you will notice that it essentially forces you into one camp or the other. Now, Myers-Briggs is based on Carl Jung's work, and apparently Carl Jung said, of course, none of us are 100% introvert or 100% extrovert, for example, but you will notice it essentially wants you to come down on one side versus the other. And the final letters are MB, and they stand for Myers-Briggs. And it was a mother-daughter combination. Catherine Briggs started in the 1920s, building on Carl Jung's work. He knew of her work. She was the first person who wanted to have a mainstream application of his work. 
So it was really the first time in the world that anybody tried to use personality preferences to help people make career decisions. Because before that, fundamentally, you did what your father did, because of course back then it was mainly men working. You did what your father did, or your career choices were extremely class-driven. Okay, let's move on to the label issue. Some people don't like MBTI because they think it labels them. Yes, it obviously does. A useful analogy, however, might be if you think about your favourite room in the house. So my favourite room in the house is my bedroom. I do a lot of work on my bed. It looks out on a garden. I love the connection with the garden. My least favourite room in the house is the laundry. If you look at MBTI, the bedroom is really where you are most comfortable, where you are most in the flow, in the zone. MBTI does not mean you don't change your behaviour. So yes, of course, I go into the laundry. I don't like the laundry. I find it quite soul-destroying, but I go into the laundry. And probably from a work point of view, the example would be me working on resumes and making sure I dot the I's and cross the T's. I don't really want to do that all day but I quite happily and skillfully go into that laundry. At a minimum, somebody talked to me about this a while ago, and it's always stuck with me. At a minimum, you could argue that those 16 types are just a description of behavior preferences, and that that's no different than the DSM-5, which is the uh, American Psychiatric Association's description of mental disorders. If you've ever looked at that, they will have a series of behaviors that they put underneath a label. The label might be, borderline personality disorder, and underneath they'll have a series of behaviours. So you could argue at a minimum MBTI is no different than that. It's a useful catch-all of behaviours that are put under a label. And finally, if you're really sceptical, there's a guy called Dr. Dario Nardi, wonderful guy. I went to one of his conferences in Brisbane a few years ago. And since 2006, he's focused on hands-on brain research. He uses real-time EEG technology to establish the link between the parts of the brain that light up when somebody's in the zone or in the flow doing an activity that matches with their MBTI preferences. If you just Google him, he has lots of information, interesting content and videos. And at the moment, he's producing content for a new book and he's slowly releasing it on LinkedIn. I had a look at his work on ENTP, which is my profile, and I found it even more fascinating. So perhaps explore that as well. Let's get started. Today I'm going to talk about one of the most mysterious of the 16 MBTI profiles, INFP. That can be summed up by the phrase, still waters run deep. INFPs make a priority of clarifying their values and living in congruence with them. They make decisions based on their values of self-understanding, individuality, and growth. At their core, they're fascinated by opportunities to explore the complexities of human personality, their own and that of others. They value relationships based on depth, authenticity, true connection, and mutual growth. They enjoy reading and discussing and reflecting on possibilities for positive change in the future. But before we go on, Let's look at these four letters, I-N-F-P. 
INFP stands for introverted, intuitive, feeling and perceiving. Introverted people are those who are energised by time alone. Intuitive people are those who, who focus on ideas and concepts rather than facts and details. If you're a feeler, you tend to make decisions based on feelings and values rather than analysis and reason. And if you're perceiving, you tend to prefer to be spontaneous and flexible rather than planned and organised. If we look at statistics, they're the ninth most common type, 5% of women and 4% of men. They're amongst the least likely of all types to suffer from heart disease. They're the second highest of all types to report marital dissatisfaction. They're amongst the types most likely to be dissatisfied with their work. And their personal values include autonomy and creativity. They are overrepresented in occupations in counselling, writing and the arts. INFPs are likely to be long-range visionaries, idealistic and loyal to their ideas, sensitive, concerned and caring, curious and creative, reserved and selective about sharing values and feelings. Famous INFPs include Princess Diana, Audrey Hepburn, John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, William Shakespeare, Carl Rogers and Isabel Briggs Myers, who is the creator of the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator. Now, of course, I'm interested in where each type finds career satisfaction. There's a wonderful book called Do What You Are by Tiga and Barron, and they talk about 10 key drivers that are necessary for an INFP to be happy in the workplace. I'm only going to mention five of them here today. Career satisfaction for an INFP means doing work that is in harmony with their own personal values and beliefs and allows them to express their vision through their work. The work needs to be done autonomously with plenty of uninterrupted time, but with periodic opportunities to bounce their ideas off people they feel respect them. The work needs to be done within a flexible structure with a minimum of rules, letting them work on projects when they feel inspired. It means work that does not require them to present their work frequently in front of groups of people or be called upon to share before it is completed to their satisfaction. The work needs to allow them to help others to grow and develop and realise their full potential. What makes them attractive to others? There's a group of MBTI aficionados on Quora and the group is amazingly skilled and knowledgeable, and this comes from that group. INFPs are attractive to others because of their authenticity, the depth and complexity of their emotional landscape, their insistence on emotional sincerity, the paradoxical existence within them of the wisest old soul, but also the youthful eternal child, their offbeat personality, their philosophical bent and strong analytical skills, their emotional rawness and vulnerability, and their sense of childlike wonder and purity. So you can tell they really are an amazing profile. There's another wonderful book which strays more into executive coaching rather than career issues. 
I still end up talking about it with my clients because I find it so valuable myself. It's called Working Together and it's by Isaacson and Behrens. And I'm just going to skim through some of the elements that they talk about of how an INFP operates in the workplace. The management style of INFPs is very caring, democratic and participative. Their style is likely to be people-oriented and they lead by quietly championing worthwhile causes and encouraging individuals to achieve whatever they are setting out to do. Their commitment is to the progress and growth of those around them and thus on the development of staff more so than the development of systems and procedures. INFPs are naturally tuned into the emotions and motivations of others and they are unusually gifted at understanding individual differences. It should come as no surprise then that INFPs value the approval of others and are encouraged themselves by positive feedback. When it comes to their values, INFPs value the ethical and the moral, wanting goodness, the greater good for all. Whatever INFPs decide to value or favour tends to be very carefully selected and as a result often turns out to be both highly personal and very deep. Indeed, the values they select over time tend to become the core of their identity and existence. Intuition is very important to INFPs. They trust both their intuition and their value assessments. Ignoring their own impressions and putting a great deal of faith in objective reasoning can sometimes backfire on them. When it comes to attitude, the basic attitude of INFPs is one of credulity and idealism. They tend to see good and potential in everyone and everything. They are not troubled by the paradoxical and their calling is to relentlessly pursue their higher ideals. When it comes to skills, they are skilled at anything having to do with people, listening to them, facilitating them, deploying them, training them, counselling them. Even though they seem to keep a certain psychological distance, INFPs are global and metaphoric in their speech. They write well and can often express themselves superbly with an artistic bent. They sometimes have difficulty communicating the intensity of what they feel, tending to strive for perfection in verbal expression. What's their driving force? INFPs have a high need for empathetic relationships. These relationships must be deep and meaningful for them to satisfy the intense hunger they feel for rapport and quality in interpersonal communication. The hallmark of their relationships is authenticity. INFPs cannot abide the counterfeit and superficial. When it comes to their energy direction, given these skills, values and attitudes, INFPs direct a great deal of their energy toward bringing forth the potential in everyone they interact with on a day-to-day basis. They are always in search of their own unique identity and facilitate the same kind of search by others through encouraging and allowing individual potential to further emerge. Their highest goal is optimising personal insights and self-knowledge for everyone. When it comes to authority orientation, INFPs want the person in charge to be ethical, authentic and good. Authority is not granted by position. It is earned over time through dedication and exemplary behaviour. Their first inclination is to respect their superior and to seek approval from the person in charge. 
When it comes to conflict resolution, it's no surprise that INFPs prefer harmonious situations and may ignore conflicts as long as humanly possible. They typically are very distressed by conflict and find confrontations to be a last resort in resolving differences. And finally, let's look at their blind spots and pitfalls. INFPs become totally absorbed in projects, to such a degree that they can lose sight of what is taking place around them. They tend to work in bursts of energy which may not coincide with the needs of the job. In other words, they tend to be more project-driven than time-priority-driven. But let's finish off with a bit of fun. Coming back to the Quora group, they go through all of the 16 profiles and talk about how you would know whether each profile likes you. So with the INFP, when they have a crush on you, don't expect any blatant flirting. Instead, they will try to show interest subtly and indirectly by laughing at your jokes, listening and paying attention to your life and who you are, and sending expressive emojis that they'd be too shy to express in person. They want to show you that they care about you through the little things they'll do. Typically guarded, they may subject themselves to the risk of embarrassment and open up themselves to you and show you the artistic projects they've been working on or the little things that infuse their imaginative souls. If they don't like you, they may just ghost you because they have a hard time saying no and don't like letting people down. Where to from here? I think it's really important to know your profile, both from a career point of view and a personal point of view. I wouldn't go and do a free course online. Um, I've got friends of mine who are convinced, for example, that they're extroverts and they're probably some of the most introverted people I've ever met. I think it's important that you do your assessment with a qualified MBTI specialist. I really like the MBTI Step 2 interpretive report because that will show up where your behaviour is different or when it isn't different, but I'm interested in when your behaviour is different to your preferences. And the example I use is attention to detail or I often talk about how I behave as a feeler because I was brought up such a strong Catholic whereas really I'm the most analytical person in the world and I'm a clear thinker. And the people I work with, we use it to try and help them make better career decisions and or be happier in their current jobs, be happier at work. On a personal level, I find it immensely useful. And as I I was reading the ESTJ profile, I can think about two of my very good friends who are ESTJs. I think when you understand other people's preferences, It allows you to respect them as well as understand them and hopefully like them. And in the complex world that we live in, I think that's no mean feat or it's, it's something that's very important. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm doing a podcast every few weeks. I have promised that I will complete all of the 16 MBTI profiles. If you're interested in MBTI, on the website, under the heading Infographics, There's a subheading called Personality, and you'll find your um, MBTI profile there in a beautiful infographic that sums up a lot of what we've spoken about today. I also do a regular mail-out. I've reduced it to once a month because by chance last time the mail-out was very delayed. I was in Europe and then Kim had COVID, 
and I found the the open rate was really high. So what I've concluded is yes, you like yes, you like keeping up to date with career issues, but perhaps not once a fortnight. So I now do a monthly mail out. If you're interested, you'll find a sign up form on the website. You'll also find show notes about this episode on the website, which is careerconsult.com.au. And you can find a sign-up form there or else just email us admin at careerconsult.com.au and we'll get you signed up. Let's finish with my hashtag, hashtag why not be happy at work. Mm-hmm.